0: Believe it or not, I have not preached from the book of Proverbs since April. Wow, that's a long time, considering this is October. And as I look back on all of the other events and circumstances which have preempted our study together of the book of Proverbs, I'm having Proverbs withdrawals. And I need myself to get back into this book. And I agree with what Dr. Zimmick has said about this portion of our Bibles. And so, with joy, we enter into the 77.2% of our Bibles, the Old Testament to the book of Proverbs. And I want to invite you to turn there with me to this wonderful book of wisdom from the Old Testament. If you remember back that far, and it would be hard even for me to do so, we are in the midst of a Bible study on Proverbs chapter 15, and I'll invite you to turn with me to look tonight at Proverbs chapter 15. We'll finish up this excellent chapter with a third and final look at our subtitled series Wisdom in a World of Foolishness. Wisdom in a World of Foolishness. When we first looked at this particular chapter, we actually drew from the latter part of chapter 14, beginning in verse 33, and then on into chapter 15, verses 1 to 4, with the first of three of our outline points, which was godly wisdom for foolish living and talking. Godly Wisdom for Foolish Living and Talking. And then we taught a second message on wisdom in a world of foolishness, covering verses 5 to 19 of Proverbs 15, under the outline point, Godly Wisdom for Foolish Concepts and Conduct. Concepts and Conduct. And I'll not go back over any of that material by way of a review Mainly because I want to spend all of our time tonight that we will have together going through the third and final part of our little mini series here in this chapter, Wisdom in a World of Foolishness, and that would be to give you a third and final point, and that is Godly Wisdom for Foolish Education and Energy. Godly Wisdom for Foolish Education and Energy. Living and talking, concepts and conduct, and education and energy. I think you'll find out exactly what we mean as we go through these very, very significant proverbs. I use the outline point of foolish education and energy because in some way, all of these proverbs in verses 20 to 33 have to do with either the education one receives from his parents or from the environment around him, or these Proverbs speak of the foolish energy a person uses to achieve what he desires in his life and how God's wisdom is needed to redirect that energy into holy uses. So you follow along with me and see if this isn't the case with Proverbs 15:20 through 33. Let me read it for you. Proverbs 1520 20-33. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. The path of life leads upward for the wise, that he may keep away from Sheol below. The Lord will tear down the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. Evil plans are an abomination to the Lord, but pleasant words are pure. He who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. Bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. He, who, he whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. Now, as I said, this wisdom in a world of foolishness is going to talk to us about these two groupings, education and energy. For instance, Verse 20, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Do you see that the first proverb in this new section has to do with the godly wisdom and the education that a young man or, of course, a young woman should otherwise receive from a godly set of parents? But who foolishly despises that godly wisdom? You see, they're supposed to have the kind of education that results in wisdom, but instead they reject it for their foolishness. Isn't this how the whole of that new section of Proverbs begins? You remember when we worked our way through the first nine chapters, it was fairly easy for us to go verse by verse, and large sections of chapters 1 through 9 had context for us, and when we got into chapter 10, through now chapter 15, as one big unit of thought, it's almost as though, as we begin the last section of this second major section of the proverbs, it's bookcasing for us this very point. In fact, look back at chapter 10 verse one. It essentially, in this book casing of ideas, gives us a very similar proverb to Proverbs fifteen twenty, it says the Proverbs of Solomon that by the way gives us that sense that we're in a new section coming out of chapter 9 the Proverbs of Solomon like a title and then this a wise son makes a father glad but a foolish son is a grief to his mother that major section as it begins starts that way, and now as we come to the end of a major section of the second section of Proverbs, it tells us essentially a very similar thing. The difference, of course, if you can see it between the two Proverbs, is that there in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 20, the actual attitude of the son is in view. It's captured right here. That attitude toward his parents' education is one of despising Verse 1 of chapter 10, of course, centers on the grief of the parents, but the foolish son in this proverb is depicted as one who despises that education and instruction of God's gift to us in our parents. And they surely are a gift. You just heard of that in the testimony. The gift is of some pretty good education. Our parents have been given to us by God for the purpose of educating us and instructing us in the way of godliness. And when godly parents teach us that kind of wisdom which they have gained from God's Word, and we as children have received that godly wisdom, we make them glad parents. Yet when we reject that wisdom, we grieve our parents And when that godly wisdom is spurned by the child who in his heart does nothing but despise in his attitude, it brings a grief strickenness to mom and dad for the despising of that very education. Turn back in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, and you can even see a hint of this in verses 7 and 8. It's almost as though these verses pop up to signal for us some kind of break, which begins a new section. And there's no question that in chapter 1, verse 7, it ends a section. And then verse 8 begins another section. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then, beginning this major section of Solomon's teaching, After this introduction of verses 1-7, to verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And then chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And then all the way over to chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 22. Proverbs 23:22, Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. In other words, gain from the education that you're receiving. It's very valuable. Buy it. Don't sell it. It's priceless. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Chapter 30, verse 17. All of these proverbs signaling for us sections which are maximizing this same point. Proverbs 30:17, the eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother. Listen to the graphic nature of this. The ravens of the valley will pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it. Referring to the eye. Not literally, of course, but figuratively. The, the eye of a son that mocks the education that they've received from godly parents, a person who scorns his mother with that spiritual eye, God says these spiritual ravens and eagles will pick it out and will eat it. Very, very graphic language that speaks to us of the value of the education that we receive at home. Now, of course, we know that not everybody has received that kind of education but you're sitting here for the very opportunity to hear my preaching to you and then to turn around and to give that kind of education to your children. So many of you in our congregation, even tonight, have your children sitting around you so that they are hearing what I'm saying and then you can go home and reinforce those things. The education that we all ought to receive from the Word of God. Even look in our own chapter, chapter 15 at verse 32. We read it just a moment ago. He who neglects discipline despises himself. But he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. And if it's true that verse 20 says that a wise son makes a father glad, look at verse 13 of this same chapter. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. And didn't Kathy Kroll say that in her testimony? about the sadness on the face of parents when their children veer from the paths of righteousness. It is exceedingly sorrowful. This is an amazing way for us to begin as we look at the education that we are to give our children and that they are to receive from us. And so much so that they make us glad and that we are not grieved by their actions. Verse 21. Verse 21 expands on this godly education that a child is supposed to receive gladly and submissively from his parents. Listen to it. Folly is joy to him who lacks sense or lacks heart, but a man of understanding walks straight. Or as the ESV says, a man of understanding walks straight ahead. I like another translation that I've used in these studies, the New Living Translation, which I think has been helpfully captured by one of its translators, Tremper Longman, and he says in the New Living Translation of this verse, this is the translation, Stupidity is joyful to those who lack heart, but the competent make their going straight. Isn't that graphic? Stupidity is joyful to to those who lack heart. The fool, as Solomon teaches his sons that they should not be, the one who lacks sense or the one who has a, uh, the lack of a discerning heart, a heart of understanding, the non-Christian in our vocabulary has it all twisted, doesn't he? They think that their foolishness, they think that their stupidity is actually joy. And isn't that true? Haven't you hung around people or haven't you had the experience, maybe even as a young person, when you did things that were utterly stupid and you thought, man, this is great. Aren't we having a great time? I remember as a non-Christian, as a freshman at Arkansas State University, joining a fraternity. And it was a fraternity that was known across campus as a party fraternity. And I remember drinking with these young guys in this fraternity. And I quickly found out in the first semester, that time when they do all the hazing, how utterly stupid that was, even as a non-Christian. Now, I think the Lord was drawing me to Himself. But even then, as someone who was not regenerated, I still nevertheless at times would go to some of these parties and I would see all of these guys drinking And they often drank far more than I did because there would be a time in which I would stop and then I would just look at them. And through the evening, when we were supposed to be studying for the next day, when we were supposed to be responsible, I would see these guys drunk in a drunken stupor. And some of them, not to get too graphic, would be throwing up all over themselves. And then they would get up the next day. They would have a huge hangover. They wouldn't go to class. They would be getting failing grades. They were doing lousy in school. And I would talk to them and they would say, Hey, wasn't that a great party last night? And I would say to myself, no, that was stupid. And I finally recognized about halfway in to joining that fraternity that I didn't belong there. I didn't, I didn't belong there. I didn't need to do that. And I thought about that when I thought of this proverb. Stupidity is joyful to those who lack discernment, who lack understanding. It's, it's kind of the person that you hear of in the Bible when they call evil good and they call good evil. They think the opposite of what the right thing is, is the best way to go. They think that all of the things that they're doing that they think in their minds gives them joy is, when you understand it biblically, stupidity, foolishness. It's a person who lacks the internal moral fiber To understand the difference between folly and wisdom. And so we end up thinking that folly is joyful and conversely that the true God-wrought joy, the joy of knowing Christ, the joy of serving the Lord, reading His Word, being educated in the wisdom of God is but pure folly. There are people who are out partying right now who think that what we're doing and what you're listening to is pure folly. And we ought to Understand where they're coming from. That's what they think. But a young man of understanding, Solomon says, not like the stupid man, but a man of understanding has a competency about him. It's an interesting word, a competency. All of his paths are straightened before him. You've heard of the idea of someone having a clear road ahead of of him. That's this man. Has a clear road, a straight path ahead of him. Remember verse 19 of this chapter. The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Implying the idea that if you do the right thing, you can just go straight ahead. The coast is clear. You can do the right thing and walk a straight path and God will bless you. Listen to what Bruce Waltke says about Proverbs 15:21: The senseless person who finds joy in flouting the moral order, recklessly turns aside from the path of duty and life, but the understanding person stays the course for the joy set before him. Now I ask you, how about your education? How about what you have received from the Lord? How did you receive what was given to you? Are you a wise son that makes your father glad because you've traveled a level path of righteousness Or are you a despising son who has misread the whole of life and you can only see folly ahead of you and you think that that's some kind of misplaced joy? A person who has rightly discerned their education will understand Proverbs 15.32, the latter part of it. What does Proverbs 15.32, the latter part of it, say? He who listens to reproof acquires understanding. We'll talk a little bit, little bit more about that proverb later, but notice how a person listens to reproof. That's a key. Verse 22, Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed or they are established. And yet, I think here's another proverb on this idea of Education And it is a fantastic one. Solomon is teaching his children, look, if you want to succeed, you'll need a whole host of counselors or a whole host of educators. See, it's all about education. It's all about the input that you receive. And maybe Solomon is moving beyond just the education provided for by parents, but he's talking about the whole of life. The education you receive from your parents as a great foundation, but as you're moving on in your Christian life, you're receiving continual input by wise counselors, wise educators all around you. And we're going to continue all of our life long to need wise and godly counselors in order to succeed in this very, very wicked world. Why? Because you never stop learning. None of us... Ever stop learning, no matter how old we are. We're constantly in need of those around us who will give us godly wisdom for our successful navigation in this very, very treacherous world. Solomon says that a person who doesn't avail himself of a multitude of godly counselors, godly educators, he will have his plans, what does it say, brought to nothing. That's the literal Hebrew rendering. Brought to nothing. Brought to naught. I love what Trimper Longman says about this particular proverb. He says, The sage puts a premium on seeking advice. The sage puts a premium on seeking advice. After all, the book is training its recipients to be wise, to have the ability to read circumstances and people, and thus to do the right act at the right time. Such advisors are invaluable to people as they make crucial decisions whether for themselves or for their community. If one wise person is helpful, then a multitude of them would even be more beneficial. Yet no matter how many advisors there are, they must be truly wise in order to be helpful and prove this proverb right. Very, very true. How well do you listen to those around you? Well, look at the plans that you make. Are they being frustrated? Are they being brought to nothing? You see, a person would have to be a fool not to seek the godly wisdom, the godly education of those around them. Those who've walked the block, as we might say. Those who've been around. Those who've gone through the bumps and the problems and the challenges of life who say to us very wisely, I've been there, that doesn't work, you're going on the wrong path. Veer right. Veer left. I tell you, I had my, my own experience in that and it wasn't good. And I'm challenging you to walk in a different direction. By the way, the sense of that Hebrew term succeed, it has to do with plans being fulfilled. Literally, plans which stand up. Or plans which rise up. Plans that are able to come together. They stand upright as good plans, solid plans. Boy, I can't tell you the amount of times in my particular ministry as a pastor of hearing with people who've come in, usually of course when it's way late, and say, I tried this, I did this, I went this path, and it's an utter disaster and now here I am and I want some help. And often part and parcel of the reason that they come to me in that way is because they have not listened to a multitude of godly counselors around them. They did not listen to good, solid, biblical educators. Look at chapter 12 of Proverbs, verse 20. It's another verse on counselors. Notice what it says, Proverbs twelve twenty. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. Well, if counselors of peace have joy, when you hang around them, they're going to show you some joy. They're going to impart their wisdom to you. Look at chapter 13, verse 10. Through insolence comes nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who receive counsel. Now, I know, I know. Even maybe some of you young people will be saying, yeah, yeah, I've heard all that before, but I know the way of the world. I know what's out there. I know what I'm doing. You're going to stub your toe. You're going to stub your toe. I've said it, I think, several times from this pulpit. I recognize that I was an unbeliever in most of my growing up years, but now that I'm in Christ and I realize as I look back on things what an idiot I was. What a colossal, stupid fool I was. I had that same mindset. That mindset that said, look, I know what I'm doing. I can go on my own. I look at what is out there for me, and I know exactly what I want, and I know exactly how I'm going to pursue it. And my plans didn't succeed at all. They did not succeed. Look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. I didn't realize this back then. Many plans are in a man's heart. That's what I had. I had a lot of plans in my heart. But I left this out. The counsel of the Lord will stand. Don't forget to heed the Lord's counsel at the same time you're looking for the counsel of others. And just when you yourself are called upon to provide an exact educational nugget or some proverbial wisdom to your children or to others, to give them precise counsel which will will set your friend or your, your child or some person on the right course of action. Verse 23 says of Proverbs 15, A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. This is so good. Here's the sense of it. The sense of this proverb is that you, the person who has been given counsel... Through this multitude of counselors, you have learned, you have profited from it, and now someone is coming to you for counsel, and at the very right moment, as you have learned from the counsel that you've received, you now have a wellspring of counseling opportunity to turn around when they desperately need it, and you counsel them, and how delightful is that timely word? Because you've learned. You've Receive from the counsel of others what you need. And the person who receives it, receives it with joy, and they have delight, and you have delight, because you are overjoyed at the opportunity that you've been given to speak into their situation. That is probably, my friends, the greatest joy that I have in the ministry of the gospel. It's probably the greatest gift that I've received as a pastor. When I'm sitting at my desk across from someone who is desperately in need of good, solid counsel, and because I have listened to other counselors, whether they be people in my life, books that I've read, the Word of God that has been poured into me, and I'm able, through God's grace and His providence and through His timing, give someone a word from the Word of God, and it changes their life. That's the greatest joy. Absolutely the greatest joy. How delightful is a timely word. It gives so much grace, so much joy to impart some of God's wisdom to others who need it at that very time. By the way, have you seen the connection with the word joy in three of the first four Proverbs here? Look back at it. Verse 20. A father has joy, or gladness, When his son listens to godly education. Verse 21. Negatively now. A foolish, senseless son stupidly thinks their education in the world of folly is actually joyful. That's a negative illustration. Verse 23. A man has resounding, delightful joy when they receive a timely word of education that is for them wise and beneficial. There's a thread that runs through these proverbs. And the idea of this proverb in verse 23 is that you're looking for someone to give you a right answer for their need in the midst of a particular situation or a dilemma that they have and they're searching for that answer and it's joyfully rewarded with a timely word from you. Boy, what, what blessing, what untold blessing when you are being able to be used by God to give the Word of God to someone else and how delighted they are when they receive it. There's no greater joy in ministry. There's no greater joy. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 14. Just to underscore this point. You say, well, how much, how long will it be where I can then be that person who gives a joyful word, a timely word? Verse 14 of chapter 10. Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish ruin is at hand. Well, it's going to be A process in which knowledge is continually stored up in your life. Store it up. In fact, look back at our chapter, chapter 15, verse 14. Do you remember this? The mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. You're going to seek knowledge. You're going to grope for it. You're going to ask God for it. You're going to be asked by someone a question that you may have difficulty initially answering, and you're going to say, I need some time. Let me think about that. Let me study God's Word. Let me ask someone else. I want to give you that knowledge. Well, if you store up that kind of knowledge, you might have that more readily accessible to someone who asks it. It may not mean that you always have the right answer in the most timely way at the right time, but you're getting there. You're getting there. You want God to bless you by being a wise counselor to others. You want to be one of those multitude of counselor type people, right? So that when someone comes to you, they say, that's the reason why I like you. That's the reason why I rely on you. I lean on you because you're one of my multitude of counselors. Chapter 24 Chapter twenty-four also underscores this. Verse 26. This is interesting. He kisses the lips. Who gives a right answer? You may even have at some point a right answer for someone, and they're so overjoyed they kiss your lips. Chapter 29, verse 20. This is from the negative perspective. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. See, don't be so hasty. Think about it, pray about it, study the Word of God. Store up that knowledge. The intelligent person seeks knowledge. And don't forget Proverbs sixteen one. The answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The answer of the tongue is from the Lord. It should be. It should be what we're giving people. We'll get to this one a little bit later in our message tonight too. Proverbs 15.28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Very, very wise educational words. Now, verse 24, we begin to move a little bit from education now to what I've called energy. Look at it with me. Verse 24. begins a shift, I think, in Solomon's movement of his own teaching, moving from the education motif, as I said, maybe to the sense of the energy a person uses in pursuing what they desire to achieve in life. Listen to how verse 24 begins a section on godly wisdom for foolish energy. The path of life, verse 24, leads upward for the wise that he may keep away from Sheol below or the netherworld below. This is where I think this shift occurs. It's the contrast between someone who desires to stay on the path of life, a reference, of course, to both, I think, temporal life, but ultimately the eternal life of heaven and bliss and righteousness and joy, as opposed to what Solomon says there is Sheol, or the netherworld, which I think speaks beyond just the sense of the grave, but beyond, I think, because it's contrasting, It's opposite to the way of eternal ruin. It isn't simply the grave or the place of the dead. It often could mean that, but here I think it goes beyond that. It's obviously, I think, speaking beyond the grave to a place where the downward spiral of a person's life has kept them plummeting all the way down into a disastrous life, including one hereafter. Rather, Solomon says, you want the right kind of godly education which gives you the energy, God's energy, which takes you in an upward direction. The upward life, and of course, to the life beyond. This is, this is the energy. All of us have been given energy. Physically, literally, and spiritually. Have you ever noticed how people, when they have been confronted with some kind of uh, major accident You hear sometimes of exploits where somebody was able to lift up a a car to extricate somebody who's been injured and trapped by that car, and they had a massive infusion of adrenaline. Well, I believe, even from a spiritual perspective, that God gives us spiritual energy, and even physical energy for that matter, to do what we need to do to be right in this life. And that proverb, I think, tells us very clearly that the path of life leads upward for the wise. God gives us the energy, the capability. That's the word you want to use. The opportunity to rise above the circumstances, to find the true path of life, as opposed to someone who is headed below, down to a Christless eternity. Verse 25 places another, another emphasis on this idea of what energy a person is expending to mistreat those around him. Here it is, verse 25. The Lord will tear down the house of the proud, but He will establish the boundary of the widow. Now, Solomon in verse 24 speaks about going up or coming down. Here he speaks of uprooting a proud person's house versus planting or establishing the house of the needy. In this case, the needy widow. Someone who's lost her husband. This is, this is an amazing proverb. This is not necessarily what you would immediately think of, but here's the sense of it. The proud, the proud person, like the fool, like the lazy person, all of these descriptions of somebody who's a non-Christian. The proud, who doesn't think about anybody but themselves, doesn't therefore see the need of those like the widow around him. And because of that, He's not ministering to those kinds of people. He's only thinking about himself. He's proud. He's arrogant. And what happens? The Lord will tear down the house of the proud. And what does Yahweh do? He's ever sensitive to the needs of the widow. Why? Because the widow has nothing but dependence. They have no human resources, especially back then. In that particular culture. In the ancient Near East and its culture, there were a lot of violent, proud, arrogant men who would prey on widows. They were aggressive and conniving men who would prey upon widows, take whatever they wanted. And often widows were severely abused at the hands of these vicious predators. Well, if that's the case, the proud preying on people like these widows, what does the Lord do? Solomon says He will establish. That is, He will protect the widow. It may even be that the use of the term boundary here means literally that a proud person, an arrogant person, a foolish person, a treacherous person would take the widow's place which would have boundary markers Today, we might have little flags up or we might have a way at the courthouse to determine exactly what the boundaries of our property would be. And if anybody moved into our property, we would know it instantly. But in those situations, if a husband is gone and a widow is there and she's doing all she can just to keep up the home portion of her property, begins to realize, probably sometimes only incrementally, that the boundaries... The boundary markers of her home are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And you know what she finally determines? She discerns that some ruthless man who is attempting to extend and expand his land would be unfaithfully and secretly pushing closer and closer the boundary markers of her property. Maybe she doesn't even realize it until it's too late. And then maybe he begins to make a case no, that's always been my property. That's always been what I've owned. She's only owned a certain portion of this. And in a very patriarchal society back at that point, what was a widow to do? How could she defend herself? How could she protect herself? You know what the Bible says here? The Lord, He will establish the boundary of the widow. He'll protect the boundary markers. This is amazing. This is amazing. All of the energy that a ruthless predator would take to literally enclose a widow so that she would not have the things that she has otherwise been given by her husband and now he's deceased, the Lord will protect her. And all of the energy and all of the attention that she gives to the very essential elements of life All she can do is cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. Help me against these ruthless people. Somebody who comes by and says, boy, have I got a deal for you. Someone who connives into convincing this woman that she needs something or that her property is far less than what she assumed. The energy of a man who prays upon the widow, it will be evil to him and what he thinks he's doing to expand his investments ultimately is what the Lord is doing to tear down his house. You see the great contrast here? The more you try to deceive those around you as a proud and arrogant person, the more the Lord's going to tear down your house and the more he's going to protect those for whom you are preying upon. Look at verses 26 and 27. Moves right into the very next dimension of these kinds of shady dealings and unscrupulous practices and what the Lord will do with the people who use the energy that God gives them for unrighteous purposes. Listen to it. Verse 26: "Evil plans are an abomination to the Lord, but pleasant words are pure. He who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live." Do you see the connection with the previous verse? These hang together. The Lord tears down the house of the proud. He establishes the boundary of the widow. Evil plans are an abomination to the Lord. These evil workers, they're repugnant to the Lord. He'll deal with them. Pleasant words are pure. Those who speak them, those who live them. And verse 27, He who profits illicitly, like moving these boundary markers, troubles his own house. But he who hates bribes will live. You see, all... That the Lord is doing by giving us the energy that we need for righteous purposes. God gives that to us to do good and not evil. We just spoke of the frustrated plans in verse 22 and the proud man's house being torn down in verse 25. Now, Solomon essentially combines these two thoughts in this pair of proverbs by saying that an evil man, one who is characteristically an evil worker, a wicked worker, a non Christian, is an abomination to the Lord. He's repugnant to the Lord. Because of his evil plans, and because of it, he'll bring nothing but trouble on his own house. That means his life. Especially those who try to profit illicitly from other people. The Lord hates that, hates those people who prey on others to swindle them, protects the widow. He honors the person who hates a bribe. It says he will live. He's going to prosper. Instead, if you pleasingly and pleasantly use pure words, honest words, words of integrity, this word pure that you see there listed verse 26, but pleasant words are pure, Waltke writes, in this proverb, that particular root word, that idea, functions as a metonymy for words which find God's favor, His favor. The antithesis of abomination. The proof of the truly needy is that their plans and speech are free of all unethical impurities. That's what he's saying there. That's the contrast. Instead of someone who's trying to swindle others, their evil plans... Their proud hearts. He says, The proof of the truly needy is that their plans and speech are free from all unethical impurities such as lies, distortions, and harshness that hurt others. Such words shine before the Lord like the pure gold in His sanctuary. And to the addressee, they are sweet to the taste and healing to the bones. That is so true. Not just speaking a timely word that ministers to a person in the moment but your whole life is characterized by pure words, sweet words, pleasant words. You're not trying to trying to swindle anybody. You're not trying to move boundary markers. You're living to help widows. You're living to help those who are disadvantaged. That's why Proverbs 2:10 says knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. That's why Proverbs 3:17 says wisdom's ways are pleasant. That's why Proverbs 24, verse 4 says, By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. That's the reward of the Lord. That's what He gives those who have pure words, pure motives, sweet speech, pleasant ideas. And we move right into verses 28 and 29. Speaking of how a person uses, again, this energy that God gives us to speak and do right things. Listen to it. The heart of the righteous... Ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. Again, I like the New Living Translation of that first proverb, verse 28. The heart of the righteous meditates before answering, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil. What do you see here? The righteous person? He uses the energy that God gives him, the capability, the opportunities, and he uses that energy to stop, to ponder, to reflect, to think before you speak. That's wise. You have the energy, you have the capability to say something like one other proverb says, that life and death are in the power of the tongue and you have the opportunity and when you're called upon to speak, you stop, you ponder, you meditate how to answer in the best possible way. As opposed to a fool who just blurts out whatever's in his heart. And if he's a fool, what's in his heart? Evil. Just blurts out evil. Someone who's looking for wisdom and guidance And you want to stop and consider how to precisely respond without giving a quick and ill-conceived answer. So, the unrighteous person takes the energy that God has given him and they automatically, impetuously, with an adrenal flow sometimes that is amazing, and you can see it often on television, and one of the persons that I often see doing this, and it amazes me whenever I see him on television, is the actor Alec Baldwin. And you've seen him sometimes on these late-night talk shows, and someone begins to strike a nerve with him about something political, and it's almost as though he is enraged about the Republican Party, or about conservatism, or about whatever it may be, and it's almost as though he is the living embodiment of, Of this very proverb. The mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. He just pours it out. This is is a great, great contrast here. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. We think. We use the energy that God gives us to stop. Meditate. Just like Proverbs chapter 24 Verses 1 and 2. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their minds devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. Using the energy that God has that's given human beings, what do they do? What do they do with the time and the energy that they have? They, their minds devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. By the way, that word devises there, devises violence, means to ponder, to reflect. That's what they're reflecting on. That's what they're doing with the energy that God gives them. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 2, in our own very chapter. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. You can't get around this. Spouts, blurts, pours, versus stopping, weighing, thinking, meditating, Verse 7 of chapter 15, The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of fools are not so. Verse 14, The mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. This is exactly in contrasting terms why Proverbs 15.29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. Oh, we could camp out for a long, long time on this one. What does the Lord spend His limitless energy doing? Well, in part, and this is so wonderful, He spends His energy hearing the prayer of the righteous. See, if you spend your energy, your time, your effort meditating upon the right answer for people, pouring into God's Word, God knows that when you're talking to Him, He'll be intently listening. The prayer of the righteous God hears, but he's far from the wicked. What does that mean? Does that mean that God doesn't hear the prayer of a wicked man? No, not necessarily. It, it's the sense that the wicked cannot approach God in prayer in the sense of God's favor. God hears everything, God knows everything. It's not a commentary on his lack of omniscience. He is omniscient. It's the idea of the regarding of a wicked person with favor. He doesn't do that. But he regards with favor the person who comes to him, who is wise, dependent, and the Lord listens. Trimper Longman again says, It is not that Yahweh is unaware of the prayers of the wicked, the verse does not mean that God listens only to the prayers of the righteous and does not even hear those of the wicked. The verb here in Hebrew often implies a response. God does something about the prayers of the righteous. To say that God is far from the wicked does not imply that He is merely local in His presence, but rather that He does not act on their behalf. And then quoting Waltke, he writes, Assertions about the Lord's presence or distance are not theological statements that restrict His omnipresence, but religious statements about the availability of his favor. See a wicked person, proud person, arrogant person, God has no obligation whatsoever to be near to them, to be intimate with them, to regard them with favor. But what does the, guard, uh, the Lord do with the prayer of the righteous? How does he regard it? He's near them. He hears them. Oh, I ask you tonight, do you do you long for the favor of God? you long for His intimacy? For His his favor? If you're a Christian and the kind of Christian who ponders your words to both God and man, He'll hear you. He'll hear your prayers. Can I give you the last four Proverbs in a hurry? They all have to do with the energy of looking, listening, and learning. And that's our education motif again. They all point... By way of a metaphor, using the human body as a channel to provide you with godly wisdom for a foolish world. Look at verse 30. Bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. What does that mean? Well, listen to some of the other translations of this somewhat difficult translation of the verse. The ESV says, The light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bones. New Living Translation. The light of the eyes gives joy to the heart. A good report refreshes the bone, or to the bone. The NIV. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. I like Waltke's translation. The light of the eyes makes the heart glad, and good news revives the whole person. What's he saying? Well, it's like what Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel. The eyes are the light of the body. And if your eyes are full of light, full of brightness, then the body is full of brightness. But if your eyes are dark, then the body is full of darkness. And if someone has bright eyes, lightened eyes, enlightened eyes, their heart is glad And the good news that they bring puts blessing or fatness, sustenance to your bones. Puts meat on your bones. It helps you, encourages you. That's the metaphor that he's giving here. Verse 31. He whose ear changes from the eyes to the ear. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Oh, that's so good uses another metaphor here, the ears, for wisdom given through reproof. And he speaks of the ear here, not, of course, just in the sense of physically hearing someone say something, but it's rather a sense of hearing and heeding reproof. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof. doesn't mean that you just hear what somebody says and then you immediately forget it. It's that you're hearing with a view toward changing. It's not like you as kids sometimes do, and they all do it, where you listen to your parents and you say, okay, that's lecture number 23. I've heard that one. It's in the file. I've got it numbered. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this instead. I've heard it all before. It's hearing in such a way that you say, you know what? My dad's right. My mom's right about that. And I better stop doing that because that's going to get me in real trouble. I need to heed their reproof. If I do, what does Solomon say? You'll dwell among the wise. Which, by the way, the word dwell means to lodge. To lodge. To be among the company of the wise. To dwell among a multitude of counselors. And to be a good counselor yourself. And it ties into the very next proverb. This doesn't have necessarily, verse 32, the physical dimensions by way of a metaphor. Unless you're thinking about the rod for the back of someone. Verse 32, he who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Someone's going to say, well, does that mean that someone who neglects discipline hates himself, despises himself? No, it's not really that sense, because we know, even from our New Testaments in Ephesians 5, that the Apostle Paul says no one ever hated his own flesh. No one ever really and truly, in an honest sense, hates himself. People love themselves. That's why we have the command in Matthew 22 and in other places, love your neighbor as yourself. What does he mean? Well, look at how much you love yourself. And because you love yourself supremely, just love others like that. That's the whole point. It's not that he despises himself in the sense that, oh, I reject all of this discipline, all of this understanding, all of this wisdom, and because I do that, I hate myself. No. Ultimately, because you neglect discipline, there's going to be nothing in your life except despising. Despising everything. Despising everything around you. Despising the reproof. Despising all of the correction until you just become so inward that you collapse on yourself. So sad. So sad. People despising everything around them. Not listening. Not receptivity to correction and understanding. Otherwise leading them to the way of life. Several years ago when I first came to the Bible church, I counseled a man. And he was a non-believer and he was an acknowledged non-believer. And I counseled him for over a year, essentially once a week. And boy, it was an opportunity like no other for me because often as I'm teaching the saints and building up the saints... I might not myself always have the venue to be able to evangelize unbelievers. And so this man was agreeing through marriage counseling to come to my office and to listen to me for an hour tell him about the gospel. And so I took that opportunity and for over a year I spoke to him about the gospel. And I had full and complete reign to talk to him about the Lord. Talk to him about his marriage. Talk to him about his Pride, talk to him about his arrogance and pleading with him that the only way that your marriage is going to survive and that you yourself are going to survive is that if you come to faith in Christ, you live under the lordship of Christ. And he would walk out of my office every time, stand up, shake my hand and say, thank you for that wonderful counsel. Thank you. That's that's what I know I need to do. And the last time we ever met, he said, all of the things that you've taught me, I know that that's what I should do, but I'm not going to do it. And there was a sense in which I thought, Lord, have I wasted my time because this person didn't come to Christ? And, of course, the answer to that is every opportunity we have like that is not wasted because you plant the seed. And yet I thought about him when I thought about this particular passage. Ultimately, if he continues to neglect the discipline, the correction, the reproof, everything about him and everything around him will be a despising Last word that I heard was he did in fact divorce his wife she marries another he marries another and that that marriage is now in trouble. Last verse verse 33. This I think is again that bookcase verse the fear of the lord is the instruction for wisdom and before honor comes humility. Holy reverence for God, healthy dread of God, fear of the lord. And yet here, Solomon, I think, for the first time, adds a new twist. And that's the latter part of the verse. Before honor comes humility. It's a lot like James 4.10, isn't it? Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. As we close tonight, let me ask you, do you like the education that you've received biblically? Or you you... Do you despise it? Do you like the energy for holy purposes that God gives to all men to pursue Him and to pursue others in the right way? Or do you use all of the energy of your life to pursue unholy things? These Proverbs are life-giving. And if you would but heed these things, being educated in the right way, and on the proper spiritual nourishing and energy that God gives you, I'm expending that energy for the glory of God. You'll be blessed in what you do. It doesn't always mean that your life will be as easy as it could be, but even in the hard times, the energy that God gives you is a grace upon grace. Even if Paul the Apostle says, Lord, take this thorn in the flesh, away from me, and you hear the response, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you to have the energy that you need to deal with the messenger of Satan, the thorn in the flesh. May God give us, all of us, the education and the energy for righteous, holy purposes as we have been impacted by these Proverbs. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask... That You would make us ever so sensitive to the things that You have given us. Lord, I pray that no one would walk from this place and despise the teaching they've received. Lord, it may be that someone does not initially do that tonight. But as they continue to live their life apart from You, despising ultimately the plans, the goals, the desires, the aspirations, the energy You give us to succeed in holy ways. Lord, I pray for them. That You would convict them, challenge them to say yes to righteousness and to say no to sin. Lord, for us as believers, I pray that You would make all of these righteous contrasts that we've seen tonight and throughout all of these Proverbs our very focus. Lord, bring to mind these Proverbs. Allow us to commit them to memory. Especially, Lord, as parents, allow us to speak out of the wealth of these Proverbs to give our children the kind of education that is second to none. Please, Lord, don't let us ape the wisdom of the world masquerading itself as true, bona fide spiritual wisdom. Don't let us mix the world's truth, which is nothing but a lie, with Your divine truth. Make us, especially as parents, diligent students of Your book so that we might impart true wisdom and have the greater joy of seeing our children walking in the truth. And Lord, for those who don't have children, for those who are single, for those who are widowed, for those who are raising up even single families, whatever the case and whatever the station in life, may You apply the truth of Your Word in a myriad of ways to human hearts. And may we continue to learn gratefully and joyfully what You have given us in these precious wisdom truths. We love Your Proverbs. And may we live them out for Your glory and Your honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.